This episode is brought to you by the generous support of LawPay, a Texas member benefit provider. Getting paid just got a lot easier. Check them out at lawpay.com. That's lawpay.com for more details. And now, on to the show. Welcome, everybody, to the State Bar of Texas podcast, recording live from the annual meeting here in Houston, Texas. I am a substitute host. You probably don't recognize me. I'm Lawrence Kaledi, executive producer for Legal Talk Network. Rocky and I are rotating here so we can get to all of the fantastic interviews we have planned uh, in advance here. But uh, anyway, I've got joining me now I have two wonderful guests who be talking to us about a very important topic. I have Laura Graham and Jason Bloom. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, before we get into your topic, now your topic is about Generation Z, and I know that you were speaking on different, uh, two different presentations, but we decided to lump them into one interview. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm going to do ladies first. And so, Laura, tell us, uh, what do you, where do you work? What do you do? I direct the legal writing program at Wake Forest University School of Law. I've been teaching there for about 23 years now. I was in private practice for a few years before that. What, what was your practice area? Family law. Family law. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And Jason, how about yourself? Uh, I do jury consulting. So oh, wow. I do uh, focus groups for litigation, witness communications training, and then, of course, uh, helping the clients uh, choose a jury, who's going to be a good juror, who's going to be a bad juror. Uh, during the jury selection process at the beginning of trial. Okay, and that explains your Gen Z approach to uh, jury selection here. So why don't we uh, just continue in that vein. Tell us uh, the name of your presentation. Just give us real quick just what it was generally about. I was more about um, getting back to trial, the modern juror, and a lot of Gen Z uh, are filling up the uh, the jury box and, and showing up for jury service and becoming more and more part of the jury pool than they had been in the past as, as more people... Um, are aging. And uh, yeah, there's just different ways to uh, approach the narrative, uh, given the different generations that we have across our jury pools. And Laura, your your presentation, you're a li- little bit more demographics focused. Yes, I talked a little bit about the um, basic characteristics of Generation Z, um, what we know about them so far, um, what we learned about them when they were in law school, and what we can predict about them as they now head into the legal workforce. Well, you know, one of the things attracted me to this interview was a uh, this rather uh, unorthodox conversation I saw at the Chicago, one of the Chicago airports. I'm blanking which one. Uh, but uh, it was a group of uh, the college, probably college age, I estimate, uh, is a you know, mixed group of guys and girls, you know, just uh, sitting around. And they were all talking, but they were talking with the assistance of their cell phones. And it was funny because you sometimes hear them talking and then all of a sudden they start laughing when it was absolutely quiet. But they were talking also through their mobile device. And I thought it was so interesting, almost like a conversation aid. They're probably sharing pictures and memes and everything, but they're having this totally strange conversation that's, uh, you know, directly attached to their technical device. I thought, we got to talk about this. So opening question here, you know, who is Gen Z? So why don't we direct that one to Laura? The most common uh, age range for Gen Z um, is students or people who were born between 1995 and 2010. That's the most widely accepted range of dates. So the oldest members of that generation would now be Um, out of college. Uh, Many of them have just entered the workforce within the last few years. Um, The youngest of them would still be um, in middle school, heading into high school. And they're an interesting generation. As as you mentioned, their technology is um, sort of a driving force with them. So they've become very accustomed to doing all of their 
business, all of their schooling uh, on their phones. And that's why some people call them the iGen, um, it, relating it to the iPhone, the iGen. That's, that's kind of where they live. Well, so uh, in your presentation, and thank you so much for uh, setting the slides over uh, in advance, kind of gave me an idea of what was going on. Uh, you talk about this um, this shaping factors uh, for generations. And of course, uh, I immediately kind of thought of my grandparents. My grandparents were World War II. Uh, they, they had survived the Great Depression. And these were iconic events in their life that really shaped you know, who they were. I remember, uh, you know, when my grandparents got older, we went to go clean out the garage. It was amazing. Nothing was ever thrown away, but that was directly out of surviving the Great Depression. You didn't throw things away. You never knew when you'd need that value later on down the road. But let's talk about some of those factors that shape Gen Z. Like, what makes them tick? One of the biggest factors, as I just said, is the uh the release of the iPhone, which was in 2007, when the oldest Gen Zers would be just perhaps middle school age. Um, and they really are what we call digital natives. They have grown up um, with access to information right in their hands. So they're very um, well equipped to find information. Um, they aren't as well equipped perhaps to process information in a deep and meaningful way. So they get a lot of information pushed at them constantly, um, but maybe they're not quite as um, well-versed as prior generations at knowing what to do with information, how to process it, how to evaluate it. They're a little bit more anxious than prior generations, perhaps because of the impact of 9-11, which happened when the oldest ones of them were probably what that would be, six years old. Um, the school shootings that have been occurring throughout their lives, uh, lockdown drills, active shooter training, um, all kinds of things that have made them um, a little anxious and um, unsure of what to expect from the world. I want to take, uh, build on those points, and I want, I want to transition over to jury selection. Now, now, Jason, this is what you presented about, but, you know, with those factors in mind, you know, when you're looking at a jury and advising people on how to pick their juries, you see, uh, you know, some young people out there, Gen Z, now what, what are you advising your clients to do and focus on? Yeah, it really depends on the type of case, but I've always believed that, you know, jurors are like icebergs. What you see above the water are the age, the uh, ethnicity, and the gender, and what's below the water our life experiences, predispositions, uh, memories, and social pressures, which kind of dictate verdict orientation. And I think with Gen Z, you can basically argue that a lot of them share some of the same predispositions and social pressures, and that's for change. And what else we've got going on in our country right now, which also relates to the jury box, is class warfare. And most of these Gen Zers would be part of this 99% as opposed to the 1%. So I guess what I'm saying is they really want to affect change more than any other generation you might find uh, in the jury box. So what you tend to find is not universally, but if you were had to pick between a baby boomer and a Gen Zer, you could safely assume that the Gen Zer is more likely going to be plaintiff oriented and higher in uh, damages. Uh, awarded, and that's just because they want to rewrite the law. Uh, they want to affect change. They want to right the the wrongs that are going on in society, and they really don't have any power to do that. But they're looking for it. 
All right, let's transition over to the employer uh, segment here. And so, you know, employers out there, you're, uh, like uh, like you were just saying there, Laura, you know, the, the oldest of the Gen Z is just getting out of college. They're probably just getting out of law school, taking the bar, and now they're showing up at firms for the first time. So you're going to start seeing, and they're a big generation as well. So you're going to start seeing a bunch of people that do share some char- uh, uh, characteristics, you know, at least from the generation sense. And so, uh, you know, tell us about, uh, you know, the Gen Z in the workforce. I think one of the most surprising things I I gleaned from your uh, presentation was this might be the first in-person job they've had in their career. So that kind of blew my mind to think about it in our magical world of work remotes. There are people out there that have not been in person in a job and this might be a wake up call for them. So let's, uh, what should, what should the uh, employer take away from Gen Z characteristics? I think employers need to be thinking a little bit more strategically about how they can structure their work environment to accommodate the desire of Gen Z to have flexibility in shaping their own work experience. Um, So we need to think more carefully about what kinds of tasks require an in-person environment, which kinds of tasks could be done remotely, and be a little more strategic about planning a work environment that allows for some flexibility. Um, I think we assumed prior to COVID that in-person was the best way to do most things in the legal setting. And I think we're seeing now that there are a lot of possibilities for flexibility in how we deliver legal services and Gen Z wants that flexibility. So Uh, I think we need to think flexibly as employers, and then we need to also think about how to onboard Gen Zers into the formal workplace to make them comfortable in that environment, make them comfortable with interacting with others on a face-to-face basis, make them comfortable with in-person collaboration, which is something that they haven't had a lot of experience with um, to date. So I think we just need to think a little more creatively about how we are delivering our services. Any thoughts on that, Jason? Yeah, this is really interesting because uh, uh, you see, uh, if, if you're sort of studying the trends in uh, lateral movement, there's a lot of Gen Zers, uh, younger people in law firms who are transitioning away from good paying jobs to other jobs simply because it allows them to work remotely. And they're almost seeing it as a right rather than a privilege or a necessity. When it first started, the remote working, quite frankly, it was a necessity. And they saw it as normal because they didn't know anything else. And so they want to go back to what they see as normal. And uh, the jury is still out, no pun intended, on the long-term effects of remote working. I don't think it's for everybody. Uh, you know, what this is all presented to us is a, a huge exercise in time management. And you can be of any generation and have those time management skills or be of any generation and not have them. So I think you just got to do you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I want to close it out with a uh, a positive light uh, question. I think we've I think it's been a fair critique and I think every generation's got some, you know, advantages and maybe some disadvantages based on, you know, where they came through in the timeline. But, uh, you know, this is a a digital native uh, generation. And so the their uptake on everything technical is enormous compared to past generations. And so, you know, you've got the World War Two generation, I, I would consider really tough you know, hardworking people, I would consider the baby boomers to be a pretty creative generation, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the Gen Zers with this uh, 
the first generation to really kind of be fully immersed in technology uh, to this degree. Where, what do you think their advantages are to you know, the workforce out there? Uh, what uh, kind of benefits can they uh, bestow upon their employer? Why don't we, uh, we'll kick it back to Jason, we'll close it out with Laura. Uh, I just think that uh, having the technological know-how is a huge advantage and it takes, it's not easy for lawyers to move towards technology, especially if they have not been using it for a while. We all use Microsoft Word, we all use email, uh, but when you transition to using something like Slack, or you transition to use something like Excel or databases, or a lot of the, uh, the, the case management software that some of these other vendors uh, are displaying here at, this, at this, uh, this conference, it's sort of like you need that Gen X, Gen Zer, who's going to see that as just normal. Of course we're going to do it that way, whereas someone who's been doing it a different way for a long, long time might be a little bit resistant. So bottom line, they embrace the technology rather than see it as something that they need to learn in order to do something in a different way. And as anybody that's had to sync their uh, parents' AirPods to their mobile device, uh, they could probably agree to that. So <laughs> yes. Let's close it out, Laura. How, how, some of your thoughts, their advantages. Yeah, I think that they have so much to teach the prior generations about the use of technology, about marketing and branding and how to get a message out and how to use technology to affect social change, to um, just to really make a difference. Gen Z, uh, as Jason said, wants to make a difference in the world. They want to change the world. They want to not only see the change, but they want to be the change. And I think that they are really skilled at leveraging technology to help make that happen. And I think that can be a huge benefit to legal employers who maybe aren't as comfortable with using technology in that way. So in addition to the case management technology and the AI that we hear so much about, it's just using technology to help... Um, bring about change to the legal system, to um, the political system. Um, a lot of the things that the legal profession claims to be interested in doing, I think Gen Z can really um, help move the needle in that regard. Well, we've run out of uh, time for our program today, but I want to thank our guests, Jason and uh, Laura, for joining us. And, you know, before we sign off, you know, if our, if our listeners want to follow up, learn a little bit more about what you do and your services, how can they find you? Uh, Again, we'll start with Laura. Well, I am on Twitter. Um, I also, my email is grahamlp at wfu.edu. So you're always welcome to email me. Um, yeah, I would welcome that. All right. And Jason? Go to my, uh, my website, www.bloomstrategy.com. That's B-L-O-O-M, like a flower, bloomstrategy.com. Or feel free to reach out via email, jbloom at bloomstrategy.com. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of the State Bar of Texas podcast brought to you by LaPay. Thank you again, LaPay. Also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, thank you for listening.